Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10 a.m. service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us and check out our website at mpbc.org.au. Well, good morning, friends. Great to see the children going out to their own program. I remember when I was a child, I used to sing a little chorus. The best book to read is the Bible. If you read it every day, it'll help you on your way. Yes, the best book to read is the Bible. And those words ring true today, as they did to me 70 years ago. Today's reading is from the New International Version, from the book of Exodus. The first reading, verses uh, 1 to 9 of chapter 25. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering from me and everyone whose heart prompts them to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them. Gold, silver and bronze, blue, purple and scarlet yarn and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red and another type of durable leather. Acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastplate. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. And uh, the second reading comes from the last words in the book of Exodus, chapter 40, verses 34 to 38. Then the Lord covered the tent of the meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Moses could not enter the tent of the meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and the fire of the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. Yes, the best book to read is the Bible. I was hoping you'd sing that song for us, uh, Eugene. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you are, because of Jesus, you are here now through your spirit. Lord, we invite you, God, to speak to us this morning through your word. We know that your word is powerful and effective. We ask that that you would do your work through it, that it would penetrate our hearts, that it would provoke us to action and to change, that we might hear your voice today through the word of God. And it might lead to change in our lives. 
and to us drawing closer to you and knowing your goodness and your grace. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I love a long story. I mean, a really long story. Wendy and I have just finished uh, listening to The Count of Monte Cristo by uh, Alexandra Dumas. And uh, let me tell you, it's a long story. We've been listening to it on Audible, and it's 52 hours and 41 minutes, to be exact. Uh, but that's without the extra bits when the, you know, the replaying of the chapters that, I fell as- that we fell asleep in. Well, I should say I fell asleep in. <laughs> uh, yeah, so have you ever dozed off while reading a page in a book? It's frustrating, isn't it, when you're sitting there in bed reading a, reading a page and, you're, and then you've got to read it again because you can't work out what's going on. And uh, I, I don't know if you've ever fallen asleep while watch, watching a movie and waking up and then wondering, what was that? what's it all about? What's going on? I have to ask Wendy quite often, What happened there? (laughs) And unfortunately, that happens way too often for me. So the trouble with falling asleep, though, in a movie is I wake up and I've got no idea. That's not actually me, by the way. I have no idea what's going on in the story as I've missed important and critical developments in the plot and in the storyline. In fact, uh, this even happens to me at the cinema. You know, I have to read the Wikipedia summary of a movie that I paid $20 to go and see so I can understand what it was all about. Now, when it comes to God's story, I think that many people are also not really sure what the main plot of the story is either. You might read the Bible, you might come to church, listen to a sermon, but you might not be grasping the main thing that God is doing in the world. And so Christmas is a great opportunity to be reminded of the main thing that God is on about in the world because it really signifies it in a nutshell for us. And what we saw on many meters this morning, um, we saw that, uh, that some of you think the main things God is on about in the world, you mentioned some of them, forgiveness of sin, redemption, peace on earth. These are all big themes, but I want to suggest to you this morning that these are supporting themes to what God is on about in the world. And so today's reading focused our attention on the main thing that God is on about in the world, which is fulfilling his plan to dwell with his people. And this, of course, is not a new story. It's not a new plot. It's the story that the Bible actually begins with in Genesis, and it's actually also the story that the Bible finishes with in the book of Revelation. In Genesis, the story of God's interaction with people begins where? With God creating this perfect place to live, for people to live and where God himself actually dwells with them. And at the end of the book of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, John tells us where God's heading in his story with us, because he exclaims, it's a, he exclaims, look, he says, God, God's dwelling place is now among people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. 
The grand plan of God is, is quite simple and yet it's quite profound. God wants to dwell with people permanently in a loving and pure relationship in which we enjoy him and he enjoys us forever. God's grand plan to dwell with his people is the underlying storyline of the Bible and it's also what Christmas is all about. We're in a series leading up to Christmas titled, What Brings You Here? And so this is the question that's on the Israelites' lips when God turns up in the book of Exodus. What's what's God doing here? And uh, we're looking at the occasions in the book of Exodus when God comes down to Israel at different times and what his intention was in those visits. And so far we've looked at God came down to rescue Israel and uh, we also discovered that that's one of the things that God has come down in Christ for, to rescue us. And secondly, the, uh, he's come down to propose to have this lasting relationship with us. We talked about that last week in the covenant. And so today in, the book, in, in Exodus chapter 25, which Eugene read part of, we heard that God, God actually came down a third time at Mount Sinai. And this time he comes down for a different reason. And we hear God's intention in coming down very clearly in Exodus chapter 25, verse 8, when he, when he says to Moses, Have them make a sanctuary for me, and I'll dwell among them. And so God's intention is to dwell with his people and not just to come for a while. And so the sanctuary that God commanded the Israelites to construct, the place where he said he would dwell, was in reality this giant, specially designed and specially made tent. And it was, it was meant to be a sacred place in which God would meet with Israel. And so what stands out, I don't know if you, when you were listening to Eugene read through, the, through, the, through that, to those verses and that list of construction materials, and also he talked about the precise way that this tabernacle should be made, is what you are meant to grasp is, is this is just not any ordinary tent. You're not picking this up from BCF, friends, or Anaconda. This is not just any old tent. If you go through the list of materials in those first eight verses, what stands out is none of them are actually also things that people who are on a trek are going to be carrying with them, are they? They're actually things that they took out of Egypt. They were either taken or given to them as they went out of Egypt. They're the precious things that God allowed them to take with them. Also, the precise design and the, and the skilled sort of people that are going to build this tabernacle, it's because this is not the job of a handyman or a handy person, as we should say these days. It, it, it was made to God's design by highly skilled craftspeople. And so this morning, I, I, Eugene just read nine verses, right? Nine verses. But the explanation of how to build that sacred tent and the description of all the special furniture that are meant to go into that tent goes on for another 16 chapters. Are your eyes starting to glaze over? 
Is it like you're reading that book in bed at night? You're thinking, am I going to start by reading that? I'm not going to read it to you. Many modern readers start to feel sleepy in this part of the Exodus story. Many people read up to this part of the Exodus story and then start thinking, oh, what's this about? And so consequently, we read this bit of the Exodus story. When we read it, we sort of jump over those 16 chapters because we can't see, we can't actually see how they contribute to the storyline of what God is doing in the world. How, how is that relevant to me today? But the description of the special materials and, and this elaborate design and, are not just there for because you know, God wanted to instruct those builders back then. That wasn't the only reason that they're there. And they're not just there for some sort of boffin up in one of the colleges up here to sort of you know, ponder in their study. And they're also not there to, um, to, to, you know, that we might sort of interpret them uh, individually and sort of find some parallel in our life. They are there to tell us something really important about God and also something really important about the story of God. And one of these things is that God doesn't just dwell anywhere. He dwells in special holy places. And this is an important point that we need to remember for when God comes down again, like he does in our Christmas story, that he doesn't just come, it's not just anywhere that he comes to. And so God dwelling with Israel in the sacred tent was important for Israel. It encouraged them and it reminded them that God loved them and that God was committed to them. And so God dwelling in the sacred tent was sort of this tangible experience or a tangible expression also as they, of God's presence with them as they moved on their journey through the desert to the promised land. And later in the temple that they built of stone, fortunately for us though, this story in Exodus of God dwelling in the sacred tent in the desert and later in the temple, they're not the final story. They're not the final chapter in God's story of him coming down to dwell with people. Coming down to dwell in a sacred tent at Mount Sinai was only ever meant to be a reminder to Israel of God's long-standing commitment to dwell with his people. And more importantly, it actually foreshadows that he's going to do something else in the future to make dwelling with people a permanent and tangible reality for every ethnic group in the world. Because you remember, when God came down and dwelt in Sinai, it was to dwell just with the people of Israel. But God's just not interested in the people of Israel. He's interested in the whole earth. He's interested in each of us and and from the many nations that we come from. And it's in the birth of Jesus that, that the story of God takes a giant turn for the better, and the story of what God is doing in the world begins to gather momentum. In in the Gospel of John, we hear that God came down again, but this time not to a special tent made of cloth and skin uh, or a temple of stone. John starts his account of Jesus' life and work declaring that God's intention of dwelling with people hadn't ceased. It hadn't failed. But the God of all creation was coming down again into the world 
But this time, God was not coming to dwell in a tent of cloth or skin. But remarkably, the tent in which God would now dwell was a human being. And John sums up God's new dwelling place like this. He says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now we might think, oh, okay, finally, (laughs) finally, God coming down in Jesus to dwell with us, that's the end of the story, right? I mean, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? That, That would be enough, wouldn't it? The fact that God has had tried to identify so much with us that he's come in a form that we can relate to. But if that was the ending of the story, that would, to cut, that, would, that would be to cut the story short. We would miss the punchline. We would miss the big thing that God's actually doing in the world. And so the coming of God into the world in human form uh, is definitely where the story of God takes a turn for the better and gathers momentum because it is the act that changes our relationship with God completely and it enables us to experience God differently. And so the people reading John's Gospel or hearing John's Gospel read to them uh, would have been amazed when they heard the words, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us because they knew the story of the Exodus And that God didn't just dwell anywhere, that he needed somewhere special in order to dwell. The 16 chapters explaining the precious materials to be used to make the tent and the furnishings in exact description, they are there to emphasise, they would have emphasised to them that God only dwelt in holy places. And so the reason that God stopped dwelling with Adam and Eve, and the reason he put them out of the garden was because they rebelled and they sinned. We know that story. And as much as God loves us, due to his own holiness and, and purity of nature, he can't dwell with sin. And so this has always been the case. And so God's plan to dwell with people was messed up by us. It was messed up by our ancestors who rebelled and rejected God's plan to dwell with us. And so this is why Christmas is so significant. What happened 2,000 years ago is actually a major part of the development of God's story because God coming in human flesh actually opens up, opens a way for God to dwell with people as he intended from the beginning. But how can a human be a sacred tent in which God would come and dwell in? How could he do that? And so John tells us how, using the language of Exodus account, he describes what God has done to come down to us, saying, We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so how is God able to come to us in human form? Well, he comes, he does it by coming in someone just like the first Adam and the first Eve, in someone who is pure, who is without sin, in someone who comes from God. And so John, John says that this one, the one who's come, is full of grace and truth, describing who Jesus is. So God is not just coming down in anyone, he's coming down in a special, precious, sacred person whose name is Jesus. And so the word of God 
who came into the world, John says, is fully God and fully human. And amazingly, amazingly, this is how God came to dwell with us. Now you might think, oh, well, there's the climax of the story right there. I mean, what could be better than God coming to dwell with us in a way that we can fully relate to, right? But we're not at the end of the story there, my friends. That's why we need to be fully awake right now. It's a little hot in here, but we need to be fully awake to grasp the story of God. And if you're not off now, you're going to miss the turn. You need to be leaning forward in your seat. You need to be grasping the, the, the pew in front of you right now. You need to brace yourself because we're getting to the best bit, the crucial bit, the, the pointy bit of the story, the, the whole point of God's story and the whole point of Christmas. You see, God coming down in Jesus was for a greater purpose than just to be with us, just to hang out with us. God came in Jesus in order to make us also into sacred tents in which God would dwell. You see, God is making us into tabernacles so that we can be the dwelling place of God. You see, the sacred tent built by Israel with all its precious materials and intricate and exact design was a picture of what God would do in the future in Jesus. And here's the interesting bit. Amazing as it sounds, Christmas is about more than God coming to dwell with us. Christmas is a celebration of God coming down in Jesus to open up the way for God to dwell in us. Individually and corporately. And you might think, well, what's the difference? You know, isn't that just semantics? Isn't that just a play on words? What's the difference between God dwelling with us and God dwelling in us? Well, let me tell you. You think about it. It's as different as living in the same suburb as the person you love and living in the same house with them. It's not the same, is it? God dwelling in people by his spirit is a game changer because it means that we can know, we can each know now God intimately. When God's spirit dwells in you, things change because God, when God lives in you, he writes by spirit, he writes his laws on your heart so that you have the desire now and the power to follow those things. When God dwells in people by his spirit, it means that you have the power to become like Jesus. When God dwells in you by his spirit, he also speaks to your spirit, showing you what is right and what is wrong. And these are just some of the special ways that our relationship changes with God by God dwelling in us. But that's not all. God dwelling in us isn't just an individual thing. And we often think this is just an individual thing of God's spirit living in me. Right, Because that's what our society, that's what our culture emphasises. It's all about me. Even when we read the Bible, we think that it's just speaking to me. But it's talking to us. God coming to dwell in us by spirit is also a corporate thing. And when we understand the corporate nature of God coming to dwell in us, it actually has profound significance and implications for us. 
In Matthew 18, 20, Jesus says to his disciples, Truly, I tell you, that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. You know that verse. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Now, when we read the verse, these verses, we often, because of our individualistic nature, we apply them to prayer and think that it means, well, if I can get two or three people to pray with me, then I'll get my prayer answered. Or we think that it will, you know, if three people are praying about something, then obviously it's not a sort of selfish thing and God will, God will answer that and be motivated to, to answer. But Jesus is not talking in those verses about those things here. He's actually telling us where God dwells. He dwells where? He dwells in his body. He dwells in his family, which is the church, the people of God. And so Paul takes this idea further and says that it's not just individuals who are God's holy dwelling. The church, is, which is Christ's body, has become the dwelling place of God. And so in 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17, Paul says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? And so Paul isn't speaking here to individuals. He's actually speaking to that church there in Corinth. And so Paul is not just telling the, the Corinthians that the church is special, it's great. He's actually saying that the church has become the dwelling place of God. Not the building. He's not talking, he, he's, he's talking about all the people at that time who were in Corinth, who know and love the Lord Jesus and call him Lord. And so at Mount Sinai, when people went into that sacred tent to worship God and to give praise to God and to acknowledge him and to acknowledge his lordship over their lives, what was happening is in that sacred tent, what was happening, they were actually connecting with God. And so the modern equivalent of that sacred tent is the church. Again, I'm not talking about this whole building. In fact, I'm not talking about any building. It's actually God's people who are the sacred tent in which God dwells today. Now, friends, if you grasp this, which is, for me has been a, a real exercise to grasp this this week for me, I've been quite excited by it but also challenged by it because the implications of it are huge. You see, when followers of Jesus like us gather in the name of Jesus to worship, according to Jesus, God the Father is there in our midst. He's here in our midst. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I don't often always feel like coming to church. And I imagine that some of you are the same because I don't see you every week. But what I want to suggest is that we feel this way because we've been viewing church in the wrong way. You see, we come to church like we're going to the movies or we come to church like we're going to school or some old regular meeting. But church is not a place where you go and meet just to go and meet and chat with your friends and it's not just a place you go and sing your favourite songs or listen to a message. Friends, when the community of faithful gather to worship, like we're doing here today and like we do each week. 
we become the dwelling place of God when we gather. And so when, when we gather, heaven and earth are touching each other, which is what the, which is what the tabernacle was all about in, in the Exodus event. And so together, as we gather, we're actually a concrete reminder that God has come to dwell with his people on earth. And he dwells in us individually, of course, which is great, and it, it's a transformative for us. But the most tangible experience of God dwelling in us is actually experienced when followers of Jesus come together each week to worship and, and as they move and act together in his name, because this is where we experience the reality that God dwells in us. This is why we should gather. This is why we need to gather as a church as often as we can. Not because we feel obligated, not because we, we want to make anyone feel guilty. You shouldn't come just because you're on a roster. You shouldn't come because you're, you're on the, in the band or on the door. That's not the right reason to come. Friends, we need to come to meet and worship and to listen and to contribute because as we gather, like we are this morning, we're getting a taste of eternity. We're actually tasting heaven this morning because God is here and he's in us in a very special way by his spirit. I don't know what it is about when I gather with you folk here. Sometimes I feel at the beginning really a bit low, but then I start to... Something happens as I sing with you, as I experience God with you. I experience like I'm touching heaven for a while. The gathered community of faith is also how others who don't know Jesus connect with God because actually as we act together in the name of Jesus, as we participate with God in his mission to the world as a community of Jesus followers, guess what happens? We express God's kingdom values to the world and they see that God dwells in us. Friends, as we move towards Christmas 2023, don't let this be another Christmas in which you're asleep in the middle of the story, in which you miss the point of it all. It's time to be awake. And the coming of God in Jesus is is worth celebrating because it's the most pivotal act in history as it enables us to be the dwelling place of God. But even God dwelling in his people by his spirit, it's not actually the end of the story. And you think, well, can it get any better? Could it get any better? It can get better, and it will get better, and this is how it's going to get better. It's going to get, this is how it's going to be. God, God dwelling in us is how it's going to be until that day that's coming in the future. You see, when God sums up the world. But on that day, things will become different. God dwelling with his, pe- God, God dwelling with his people will be different on that day. John says in Revelation 21.3 that the day is coming when God will no longer need to dwell in us by his spirit because he'll be fully present with us as a wholly restored people just like our ancestors were Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. 
In Revelation 21, John says, and I'll repeat this because I said it at the beginning, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people he, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And on that day, you won't just get a taste of heaven. You won't get just a taste of eternity like we get now. The day is coming when God will be fully present. And on that day, says John, everything will be altogether different. Because right now, as God dwells in us, we still are affected by sin. We're still affected by disease. This is why we only taste heaven now. But on that day, he says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And then John adds this. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And so we will dwell with God and enjoy him and he will enjoy us and one another forever. And that's, a st- that's God's storyline. That's what it's all about. You see, friends, that's what Christmas is about. And so make sure that you grasp the true storyline. Make sure that you hang on to that storyline and allow it and God's spirit to shape your life. Don't be shaped by the things of this world because they're passing away. If you want God to dwell in you and you want to dwell with God forever, but you know in your heart today that God doesn't dwell in you by his spirit, then I want to encourage you this morning to do something about that. Don't let this time pass you. If you know that If you want that, if you want God's spirit to dwell in you and to transform you and you want to have that hope for dwelling with God for eternity, then today is the day to do something about that, to let God transform your heart and your life. And I want to encourage you, if that is you today, friend, I want to encourage you to pray with me in your seat. Won't you do that today? Why don't you do that at home if you're watching? Some of you, I know, have been sitting, waiting, wondering. But I want to say today is the day of salvation, friends. Today. As we approach Christmas, as we approach a really big focal point of our Christian calendar, today is the day for you, for us, to grasp this, to receive Jesus and follow him. Would you pray with me? If you want to pray along with me, pray this prayer. Great God, you have a great story. Your story tells us that you are to dwell with us and we are to enjoy you forever and you are to enjoy us forever. Lord God, I want, I want that for my life. And I accept that Jesus came into the world to make this possible. I accept that Jesus' life, death and resurrection are what makes this possible. And I accept what Jesus has done 
to make me, <laughs> to make me a tent in which your spirit dwells. And that you have a future for me together with all of God's people in eternity with you. Amen. I want to invite the band back. They're going to lead us in our final song, which is called Make Room in Your Heart. Make room in your heart for God to write his story. I want you to encourage you to reflect and ask yourself, have you done this? While you're singing and as you're reflecting, have you made room in your heart for God to write his story? You might have done this, thanks Jason, you might have done this a long time ago, but there's still room In your heart today for God to write his story? That's the question. Do you still have room for him to do that? I want to encourage you to express yourself in the song what you need to God. You can do it in silence with arms lifted up or by kneeling down where you are, in the, even in the aisle, if you want to do that. If you want to come down here and kneel down, that's fine. If you're at home in your lounge room, I want to encourage you to express to God that you want to make room in your heart for him today because he wants to dwell in you now and with you and you with him for eternity. Thanks, Nicole.